Hi, welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Simmer. And before we get started, we just want to thank our sponsor for this week, which is Blackmagic Design, who, of course, uh, make DaVinci, but also make Fusion. And in fact, uh, for more than 25 years, Fusion has been one of the great Hollywood VFX tools. Um, it's been used on a ton of stuff. We've covered it on many films, such as uh, London Has Fallen, Mockingjay Part 2, and uh, one of my all-time favorites, Orphan Black. Just a terrific tool by Blackmagic. It's um, available now in a free version, as well as a studio version for $9.95 that includes an unlimited free number of render nodes, stereoscopic 3D tools, and a whole bunch more. Fusion and Fusion Studio are available for Windows, Mac OS X, and Linux, and can be downloaded from Blackmagic's site. We really appreciate blackmagicdesign.com for uh, all their support of the VFX show. And with that, I'll get on with the show. And joining me this week is uh, none other than Jason Diamond. How are you, sir? What's up? We kind of missed you last week. Uh, Matt's also here. Matt, how are you? I am keeping it real. So uh, Matt and I uh, last week had a terrific time talking about um, a show that I'm completely obsessed with, which was Westworld. Uh, but, uh, I not still haven't gotten past the first episode. Okay, what? so <laughs> you're dead to me. Um, yes, okay. It's people like you that elected Trump. No, um, seriously, it's Ooh, a really great wow. show. And right we, it, should, right. we should... Oof. We should uh, definitely uh, recommend it. But anyway, this week we're talking about another really great um, piece of uh, entertainment, which is Doctor Strange. Um, and wow, what a film. So uh, as we're going to do, uh, as we always do, we're going to discuss some of the um, sort of nature of the filmmaking and the film itself, and then we'll get into the visual effects work. It was done by a ton of companies, including ILM, uh, Luma, Framestore, uh, Method, uh, Lola, just a ton of companies. <coughs> Uh, did stuff on it and uh, we'll get to that in one second but first uh, Jason how did you find uh, this latest I think it's the 11th I'm going to say the 11th uh, of the Marvel um, uh, films I enjoyed it Uh, I kind of dug the you know Inception V2 Interstellar V2 kind of uh, approach to the visual effects and uh, you know has a standard Marvel formula of humor action drama but um there's some pretty ridiculous action sequences in here that i think based on some stuff i read that it's what got scott derrick's in the gig um for pitching in his in his pitch meeting about you know backwards uh fight sequences and the folding city and the uh hospital uh astral projection fight you know i think all that stuff is is taking visual effects and action sequence like up to the next level quote unquote which is i don't know any other way to say it and uh, i was i was super fun and i saw it in 3d excellent was converted but still seemed fine yes these days conversions are so good aren't they yeah hey um so Matt, what do you think of an actual doctor that was an actual doctor as a doctor strange as opposed to a doctor doom or a doctor somebody else well, I, I would say that I, I love the cast. I think this is a great, like, top-notch cast for a Marvel film. Um, and uh, I think they all did pretty good in the cast. I, it was a little bit hard uh, with uh, Sherlock's uh, American accent. was a little bit tough sometimes for me. Um, not to uh, denigrate his uh, acting chops. He's still a great actor, but it's it just it didn't totally click for me. And... Um, the the visual effects though were i think by and large i think they were they were pretty 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 cool like some innovative fun new effects but i did have for the first time i did kind of feel my first real marvel fatigue with this movie it felt a little bit like kind of like ant-man meets like i don't know like uh lord of the rings meets civil war it just i yeah yeah, a little bit. Like it just, I just, I just felt a little bit of the fatigue in the in the formula, and I just sort of felt like, eh, you know, like it was decent, but it was like there was no like real high highs. There were no real low lows, but it was just kind of like, meh. You know, I kind of walked out of it feeling like, yeah, it's it's all right. You know, it wasn't didn't blow my socks off. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, for me personally, I really did like it. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed so much of it. Um, so I didn't have the same fatiguing. I guess for me, my expectations were 
were surpassed, but then I kind of expected this sort of, you know, process. I, th- I mean, I thought it was significantly better than Ant-Man, for example. Um, interesting that you it, referred it to that like kind of... It felt like it had Ant- kind of a similar budget, though, in a way. Really? I thought, it, I thought it felt like a bigger budget. I thought Ant-Man felt like a smaller film, definitely. Uh, it was like a heist film and it didn't have the kind of broad um, stuff, even even conceptually, even the, the sequence where they go nano size and into the kind of subatomic level, it didn't feel... I guess the, uh, the effects felt, like felt kind of, bigger. The effects felt bigger, but the stakes in the story didn't feel that much bigger to me. Well, see, now there's your problem. That's, you, well, not your problem, but there is the problem uh, with any of these stories, which is that we just know that they're not going to kill off the superhero. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, no, really a difficult no real, problem. Yeah, is the issue. Sorry. Threat. Yeah. No, no, you're right. I mean, this is it. Like, you uh, you know, this has been a problem now for some time. You just know they're not going to kill anyone. So you, you're either along for the ride or you're not. Um, but, yeah, there's no point where you expect the bad guy is going to defeat them. Um, I guess the only thing is it. See, some people I know really. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, there are some people I know that think that this is like one of the best of the Marvel characters. Um, I think that that they think about this. Like my expectations were, you know, that I was going to get some backstory and I was going to have to go through this. I thought it would be worse. I thought it would take a lot longer before anything interesting happened on screen. Um, But and it didn't. The other thing was. I guess this is like uh, true for for many of these kind of films. If you're a really big fan of it, you want to see the stuff that you want to see. If you're not, I didn't know any of the kind of stories. I didn't read the comics or anything or graphic novels, whatever they're up to these days. So I was just kind of like, I don't know what happens and I don't know what's happening. But it could have fallen into this trap that he's uh, a wizard that can do anything. And so not only could he not die, but like every problem could be solved by just doing this thing. Um, and I think that they kind of managed that relatively well because when I guessed early on, or at least one of my daughters did, that it was a time um, uh, trick that was going to be uh, played out in the uh, in the third act, it's like, well, if you can go back in time, you can just solve every problem and it you can lead to quite silly um, things like, you know, that where you just go, well, that's just ridiculous. Like, you know, just go back in time and you've solved that. You're just refusing to do it, which is what happened in the Harry Potter series where she had a... A, uh, a device to turn back time and it just got not used after the uh, the first or the first film it was in. It was never used again because it would simply just solve every problem from there on out. Um, so, you know what I mean? Like if you had played the script poorly, you could have fallen into that trap of like, well, if Strange can turn back time, I just don't see why all the whole film isn't over and just, you know, goes back and takes away the weapon or the thing that the guy had before he uses it and we're, we're all over Red Rover. And then they just play the share song, If I Could Turn Back Time. <laughs> oh, I have not. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I thought that was like a convincing kind of plot thing. And then another thing I liked is that the magic actually had a mathematical kind of look to it. It wasn't, again, Harry Potter, just puff of smoke and um, things. It felt like they were tapping into something. And in so tapping into something... Um, it was kind of making sense that uh, it was controlled or not controlled and you were either good at it or you're not. And, you know, it yeah, wasn't it just... Hard. His... They made the magic look hard, like when he was trying to, you know, first started doing the Eye of, yeah. Eye of Agamotto or whatever, you know, in the in the in when he took it off uh, the pedestal for the first time. He's like, oh, and it's, they made it seem like it was hard to turn the dial. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, snap my fingers and, you know, bewitched it back to, you know, wiggle my nose and be back, you know, five minutes yeah. before I started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which you kind of really need to do. Okay, so if we leave the uh, the plot aside for one second, what I liked, which maybe is one of the things you didn't like um, in terms of, you know, your reference to Ant-Man, there, uh, Ant-Man earlier, is I liked that there was uh, some sort of overlap in bits of the visual language that connected with other bits of Marvel and then connected with the film itself. So there's this kind of kaleidoscope effect that ILM does in the mirror sequence in uh, in New York, which was felt completely related to the London scene which was done by somebody else. That was also kind of picked up in the what was nicknamed by the production the Magical Mystery Tour when he first goes uh, astral playing. Um, and that was done by another company. Uh, but the same company method that did that did the Ant-Man sequence where he went subatomic. So there were kind of hints of that to, to connect up. 
So it felt like it wasn't just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what stuck. It felt like, well, there was some logic to this world and and we're going to play out some visual themes. And then even though we've seen that stuff happening in um, uh, in terrific Christopher Nolan films, one of the greatest directors, as you know, Matt, um, we you know hadn't seen it on the scale of what they were doing with New York. Yeah, I mean... I thought the uh, some of the kaleidoscopic effects in this were really pretty pretty fun to watch, and yet did have shades of um, Inception, you know, in some of the execution. the The times though that I thought it actually worked best were when um, there, there were there were a few there were several different shots, and the shots that I thought really worked well were where when the kaleidoscopic effect when two um, different um, sort of, you know, the normals of two different planes were intersecting. Um, sometimes you'd get a really linear, um, like a straight line, just like you would see in a kaleidoscope, right? Yep. And then other times they did some stuff in some of the more sort of hero shots of it where they actually wove together, um, you know, like bricks almost. So they were like things that were breaking the line. So you didn't have a straight linear connection between the two different facets of the effect. And you actually had almost what were like, like teeth on a gear, you know, that were sort of crossing over and creating a a much more sort of dynamic line. And I thought when they did that type of effect and, you know, the cars kind of, you know, going over the 90 degree angle and stuff, that, that stuff was fun. But I thought when they did that kind of effect where the, the, um, the linear nature of the kaleidoscopic facets was broken um, with some kind of bricks or some other kind of architectural feature. I thought they were, it was much stronger in those instances than when they didn't. And it felt more um, like a real kind of a 3D effect rather than sort of a more kind of planar two-dimensional kaleidoscope style effect. Yeah, I like, I mean, yeah, you think, to that point, I also liked in the sort of the wider shots where you could really see what's going on, uh, the way the water was cut off and things, you know, like like they were clearly thought about rules about okay, well, if this went this way, and all the water would tip out if it went that way. There's, it's obviously bounded by something, um, but it was. I kind of got lost in a lot of the close-ups when they're running, and it looks like they're just like running up the side of a building, and then you know, circle hand portal pop over here, pop over there. Um, I kind of. I kind of like the wider shots where you could see like the whole city folding, which I think is what really sold it in Inception is there wasn't really a ton of tight shots in that. It was just these big wide, you know, masters of just an entire, you know, five blocks or the sky, everything just kind of crushing in on itself. Obviously without creating damage, there was no destruction uh, or simulations from that. So I really dug it. The one, the one part of, the one part of the effect though that I found confusing, I, w- I went with my buddy Kelly that I teach with at VCU, and and he and I were talking about it afterwards, and he actually was the one who pointed this out to me. Um, he was he mentioned how, and I, and I thought about it, it's totally true that the there were so many inconsistencies. Not that it, you know, I mean, it's yeah, okay, it's a superhero movie, but there were inconsistencies in the laws of gravity and physics within the context of a different kaleidoscopic effect and so if um i can't remember the mads mickelson dude the bad guy right uh his name uh when when he was when he would perform a certain kind of um manipulation of the environment there were times where um you know the the doctor um the uh dr strange and or uh his his uh, buddy they would they would be caught off guard and they would fall and or collide with an object. But then there were other times when uh, it seemed as if those sort of same rules of physics and gravity and directional velocity shifted to sort of fit a given scene. And so it was, that made it somewhat confusing. And it seemed like the the peril that they were in, in from just an action design sequence standpoint and with regards to the visual effects, it sometimes was confusing to know like, and it just seems sort of convenient when like they were stopped by something as opposed to were able to pass through it. And I don't know if maybe that was because I saw it only in 2D and maybe it was more no. distinctive and clear no, to follow I think, in 3D. I think but. it was the, the way the cut was, the way the tight shots I think were confusing. And I'm not sure there's anything you can do about it really. When you, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I know what you're saying. Like, and sometimes they're running and they, he 
fell and ended up on the side of the bus where, um, uh, you know, in that sequence. And then other times he was just running up the side of a building and, you know, clearly the building was either on its side or, or gravity wasn't applying to him. Um, but you just, I mean, yeah, it didn't bug me at all. I mean, I, I, I think the close-ups in London at the, in the opening sequence where the brickwork was really doing that meshing mm-hmm. was just beautiful. Oh, yeah, and, um, totally. And I agree with you, like when it looks 3D, but I only got the 3D sort of more in the close-ups, in the wider shots, it, f- it obviously wasn't, but it felt more like a traditional kaleidoscope and, uh, and 2D, with the exception of what Jason pointed out in that big wide shot looking down at Manhattan. Um, I thought it was a load of fun. And, you know, they were running and he didn't really have sort of mastery of everything and it was a bit like you, know, you got in over your head and you got a bunch of bad guys running after you and if you're going to do a sequence running around... New York with a bunch of bad guys. We haven't, we've seen that so many times before. It's pretty hard to come up with something as startlingly different as that. Hey, um, this is a, an Easter egg for those obsessed fans that might be listening. So obviously inside the context of the film, you guys know that nobody noticed that they were running, right? Yeah. Nobody noticed the kaleidoscope effect. Did you pick the one Easter egg that, that uh, the team at ILM put in with the birds? <laughs> the only things that noticed what was going on were the pigeons. So they'd stick a flock of pigeons in the background and suddenly a wall had come up and they'd like kind of and spin and turn and go the other way. Um, it's just, it's very subtle and it's huh. only happening in the background, but everybody else ignored it. But uh, they thought it would be fun if, cool. the, uh, if, uh, if pigeons um, somehow, you know, that thing about like when there's an earthquake and birds know before it happens kind of thing. Yeah. That like uh, somehow these, uh, these pigeons, which, you know, that overplay it, of course, it's super subtle, but it's, um, I just thought it was a really funny Easter egg not have the, uh, the birds flying willy-nilly and, uh, and ignoring what was going on around them. Um, I, think, I think more distracting was that, and it's interesting because I remember seeing like set pictures. There was like some BTS footage of like Benedict Cumberbatch and Chiwetel Ejiofor running down the street in their garb, yeah. which always looks really stupid yeah. when you're not in the movie. Yeah. And, then I, and then I saw the scene. I was like, oh, this is the scene they were shooting. And quite frankly, it looked almost as stupid. <laughs> I mean, like full full daylight on those costumes, just with no like creative lighting, just don't doesn't work. And well, we, we, I've yeah. had the same pers- problem with Thor. And they're like walking down the street in the town, and he's just like dead on sunlight. And you're like, it's like the the lights came on in the bar at four a.m. And you're like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, when they're in, when, I totally uh, agree with Thor you. When but they're then in I Radiator had... Springs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had, I had a problem with Radiator Springs. I had a problem with Thor one and the. Uh, ABBA, you know, the Xanadu yeah. thing. At, um, but, but getting back to this one for a second, I actually talked to the guys at Ireland about that very problem because I was like, well, how do you get directional light? And the trouble is they're in this canyon setup because as you guys would know better than me being Americans, so it's, you know, if you visit New York, it's a very, very weird lighting setup because, you know, you've effectively got yeah. these vast canyons. You don't get a lot of direct light. And when you do get it shining right down the middle of the street, everybody stops and takes out their phones and looks at it because it's so pretty. Um, and so they had a bit of a struggle uh, trying to get interesting lighting on them. And it was just a very kind of ambient light as it bounces around the buildings. Whenever they've got strong light on them, um, they tried to do that. And certainly when they went to digital doubles, they tried to have those digital doubles move to yeah. places that could have sun on them so they could get a more dramatic lighting on them. But the actual guys running down the actual streets, there just is no big directional lights that you can play with that, yeah. um, that give you much to work on. Now, whether they should have staged that in dusk or in the evening, but I think they were going to do that right. anyway with... Uh... See, here's the thing. Did you yeah, not... The end fight is dark, so you yeah. can have them all at night. But, but magic hour, or if they had done like the simulated the Manhattan Henge thing, where the yeah. sun lines up down the blocks or something, I don't yeah. know. But did, did you find? See, I found New York more convincing, and, and it was done both by ILM uh, than the Hong Kong at the end. Hong Kong at the end felt to me, and nearly always does when somebody does this, like a set, like it seemed like a big soundstage, where New York oh, yeah. felt like it was outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so, so. Yeah, well, because you had the big flat lighting. Yeah. I just found like the Hong Kong sequence just, you know, felt like somebody had built a really elaborate set and we were on it. In, in New York, yeah, like it felt like they were- a city block and a half or something. Yeah. yeah. It felt like it was like the corner, they reused the corner from Big Trouble in Little China or something. Exactly. That's where it came from. <laughs> um but it was a phenomenally interesting idea, this idea that you'd have time running backwards 
and uh, that some of the characters wouldn't be, which, you know, makes it way more interesting. Oh, I love that. I thought conceptually it was, inc- I thought it was pulled off all the way, all the way around minus any like nitpicky set issues. I think conceptually it was a fantastic idea that no one's ever done really. And the fact that you have people going forward and backwards and they have that little time ripple yeah. that goes through them. Like, yeah, yeah. like you've stepped out of the, the time puddle. I, I love that as well. Uh, that, that, when the yeah. characters were turning around, as it were, in time, I thought, yeah. oh, that's nice. Yeah. Somebody designed that with love, the little time ripple thing as you describe it. I thought that was really yeah, nice. It was like, it was yeah. like um, turning over a set of like, uh, what do you call them? Those sort of like uh, level or blinds or something, you know, like, but, yeah. but vertical. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Um, Method did the, um, the Magical Mystery Tour, as I was talking about before, and... That was pretty hoopy. Um, and what's interesting is that the like ILM actually needed to do digital doubles to do uh, what we just described, which is obviously New York and, and Hong Kong. And and there's a lot of stuff going on there as, you know, people move backwards and people have to go up in, carried up in things that are falling backwards and stuff that would require digital doubles, but not super close. But when you get in the Magic Mystery Tour, uh, Method had to go super close, right? Because he goes through his own eyeball at one point, which I thought was one of the most successful parts of that sequence. Um, so the the face scanning and stuff was done by, um, uh, like on the uh, Disney Zurich invented Medusa system, but they also used, I don't know if you guys at SIGGRAPH this year, the new eye stuff that came out of Disney Zurich as well. Um, so incredibly high resolution eye scanning stuff and great stuff that a researcher in... Um, and Disney Zurich has come up with, and he's obviously part of the same uh, ILM family. And they passed that through ILM after ILM had obviously needed to do, to a certain extent, uh, digital doubles for Benedict Cumberbatch to the Method team, who then had to up it kind of another level because they had to go so incredibly close to his uh, face and and do these weird things where he goes through things. Um, it, again, I liked it because it wasn't just super trippy blobby shapes. I used to hate psychedelic stuff when I was a kid. It just used to really drive me nuts when people... I mean, if anyone had given me a Doctor Strange comic, I wouldn't have liked it for the psychedelic aspects. I hated the graphic design, hated the blobbiness of it, hated the kind of imprecise nature of it. So I could have easily hated this to death. I mean, Jason, are you somebody that likes kind of psychedelic imagery from this that period of the 60s, yeah. 70s? Okay. Because mm-hmm. it's a very particular yeah, kind of graphic and, design. And I like Doctor Strange. He's always been a favourite one of my favorite characters. So how did you think of the Magical Mystery Tour, which was kind of more fractally and a bit more geometric than that graphic design period that I was referring to? No, I mean, it, it fit the visual language of the movie. You can't have these disparate scenes. It has to be cohesive. So it, it worked for me, no problem. Right. Um, I, I kind of like the, you know... As a director, you, you know you have to have you want to make the movie feel like it's going somewhere, but it has to be, it has to be cohesive, and so you can only variate variate from the theme, you know, so much uh, when you're when you're sort of building on a building on a on a visual concept. Matt, you know that sequence was actually seven or eight minutes at one point. I think it ended up as two minutes in the film. Hmm. Well. Yeah, I mean, I th- I actually thought that whole sequence was was, I mean, it was pretty fun. It was really, it felt, uh, you know, strange in a way. Like, but it also it did have a touch of uh, familiarity too. In that, I I it sort of was reminiscent to me in a funny way of um, some of the uh, the space sort of nebula kind of footage from uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I felt like it had that same mm, tonal yep, palette. Yep. And a lot of that same sort of cosmic kind of mojo going on, but it almost felt like that on a. It, it reminded me a little bit of. Um, I've got a, a couple students uh, in some of my classes who are scientific and medical illustration students, and so they're doing some three D uh, animations of, you know, either microscopic or biological processes. Um, you know, kind of life of the cell or whatever kind of stuff. And um, some of the the elements that they had in there, they had those sort of spherical things that were connected by these. Um, kind of strange tendrils, and some of it almost looked like it was a like a a macro or micro uh, universe. You know, the the design aesthetic of the psychedelia of some of the mm. elements that were in it, and, and I thought it was fun. It was neat. It was it felt sort of familiar. It felt very sort of Marvel universe esque, but it also had a 
like a, a playful aesthetic to it in terms of the, the color that was used to uh, whimsical effect, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Stefan Caretti, who was the VFX supervisor on this film, was actually the VFX soup on Guardians. And by point of fact, he was also on Thor, Dark World. But um, uh, yeah, so that's interesting. Like he was, boof, uh, uh, then he went to, I think, um, MPC or Method. But he's now, you know, obviously a, he's been nominated for an Oscar and stuff and he's an independent VFX supervisor in the Marvel level. Um, so there is a direct connection there, obviously, to, to Guardians. I... I liked the connection. I like that look. It's kind of a very um, horsehead nebulary kind of uh, colourful thing. But yeah, it had these wispy tones that made it uh, also look very kind of biologically small, didn't it? Like it was on a micro uh, electron microscope or something. Um, you know, you get that kind of fur at that electron microscope level. You know, you see yeah. um, like even bugs have a kind of like almost as if they've got a... Uh, a dustiness to them that somehow comes from having a lack of specular highlights, I guess. But it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty hard to make that work and it kind of did because it makes no sense. I, I, um, I was conscious when I was watching it, I don't know if you guys were, that it was, uh, he was kind of leaving at one stage going right to left and I think he came back left to right, which is such a kind of, you know, cowboy leaves town, cowboy comes back to town kind of logic. And I think they mm-hmm. did it more subconsciously than they did it. Sort of, I mean, it doesn't strictly do that because, of course, he falls through his own eyeball, which is more into the screen. But um, it, was a, it was a journey and it did connect up and it didn't feel like it was just... Uh, so, like in Star Trek 1, when they were going into the end kind of giant thing, it just got boring to me. It was just effect shot after effect shot after effect shot. Magnificent though they were... I just was like, can we get this over with so we can get the story on, uh, continuing to move on? And I think that's the risk that, that they uh, face. Without the Ancient One actually in there to interact with him, he's just, you know, going through sort of, I don't know, electric, um, like rubber banding him from world to world. Yeah. It could have been pretty repetitive and a bit dull. And I thought they did a, a terrific design. I mean, they haven't seen something with like the hands forming out of the fingers, forming out of the hands, forming into stuff. That all looked really valid to me and uh i mean whoever worked on that certainly has done acid (laughs) you know and there's no problem with that That, i'm just pointing that out yes they used um they obviously used a bunch of fractal reference and uh and mandibulbs and that was also used pretty extensively in um uh the suicide squad sequence where she had builds the sort of mega machine um is that the just go-to only solution for complicated um, detail stuff to have that kind of fractal? I mean, I wouldn't say it's been used to death, but it's now your sort of go-to solution though, isn't it really? What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a familiar visual thing, Matt. What is? Sorry, I didn't... Fractals and those... Well, you know, those sort of mandibrot, uh, mandibulb kind of shapes that... Um, we saw in this, we also saw them in uh, the machine that um, the Temptress makes in uh, the end of Suicide Squad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a common naturally occurring and, you know, easy to generate mathematical uh, shape, you know. It oh, seems, it's it not just that seems, easy to generate. Well, I mean, it's, it's become, it's become, um, uh, I mean, most software programs have some kind of Mandelbrot, you know, uh, uh, procedural generation thing that you can create, you know, at least for a 2D um, uh, uh, form, right? I mean, I know there's there's one in Maya. I think there's one in Moto. I mean, it's not that unusual. But, I mean, to do one in, in that, uh, in 3D, would be uh, infinitely more complex. Well, yeah, I guess the thing that's really funky about it is art directing it like it's one thing to produce them it's another thing to get them to do what the director wants you them to do you know like i know when i was talking to the team that did the stuff in um suicide squad they were like somebody said well you know just move this bit over here so well can't do that we have to like run a whole new fractal set of maths to do that right right, uh, right, sure um and i think what method ended up doing is taking the fractal so far and then effectively doing what you do when you're doing a fluid sim, you know, when you kind of uh, move from that point that the sim goes into a polygonalization version that allows you to do other things to it that breaks the sim. I think mm-hmm. they're kind of doing that. They get to a point at which they say, okay, now we need to add some other stuff in here. It'd be easier 
to leave a uh, procedurally generated Houdini complicated piece of whatever and we'll just start dealing with it at a, at a sort of a geo level again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was good um, and I, I liked it a lot and uh, it's probably the biggest sort of go-to thing that I think people um, uh, noticed when they um, – well, not noticed is the wrong word, I guess – if you're talking to people outside the cinema when they were walking out, they were either talking, I reckon, about um, about New Yorker doing its trip or they were talking about that. I actually got all the realms. You want to hear what they are? Sure. There's Speaker Cone. Yeah. Speaker Cone is when they're doing um, the sort of audio-y, thumpy thing. There's meant to be Bioluminescent World, but uh, what started as Bioluminescent World went a bit blue. So it doesn't hold up as well as the name suggests. From there he goes into soft, solid, fractal space. And then he gets the eye fly through and uh, the quantum uh, sort of leap bit. Uh, we're at about four now. And then he goes uh, to what's from the eye, he goes to what's called cosmic scream um, and the quiet realm. You know, there's a bit where it goes really quiet. Uh, and then he goes through a shape shifting stage, which is the cone flyback tunnel. Now, in the cone flyback tunnel, where he's, you know, kind of headlong at you as if he's being shot out of a cannon. He was going to morph into all these different shapes. The trouble was, while it worked really well apparently, and I haven't seen it, but the guys told me about it, um, you couldn't recognise it as Cumberbunch anymore. And so they were like, well, we kind of wanted to see Benedict. So they sort of wound it back. So he doesn't actually shapeshift as much in that end sequence. But for a while there, he was turning into all sorts of things like cubes and clouds and stuff. Anyway, and he ends up from there going into the clouds and, and back out. So in the actual, what we see, I think there are about seven solid realms that the... Uh, the team did there, and uh, and interestingly, like a Douglas Adams thing, switching into different shapes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they were doing all the stuff up in Vancouver, but that sequence grew to be such a big thing that it was just that bit and that bit alone was taken over by the uh, the LA office, and uh, they just had a, a really fun time doing it, which I can totally get. Um, while we're on it, by the way, Luma did the Dark Realm, which of course they get to from the Hong Kong sequence that ILM did. Um, and uh, and did a, you know, uh, as I said, a really good job. So the Luma stuff of the Dark Realm had to come into the sequence as a kind of pre-whatever of the Magical Mystery Tour. So when I said that they did that, there's actually a bit that Luma actually contributed inside the Magical Mystery Tour so that their Dark Realm was foreboded to, if you like, um, and linked in from the earlier... Uh, magical mystery tour stuff. Hey, um, another sequence that's nothing like that that I love to death and I found really visceral was the car crash. Jason, you, they shot some of this stuff in IMAX. They also shot some of it um, super high speed with, um, uh, I think it was like, um, uh, anyway, uh, Phantom. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the Phantom uh, uh, doing that stuff. So some of the stuff that was shot was uh, aspect ratio of 1.9 to 1 and some of it was obviously 235 to 1. Um, and... I thought it looked really, really good. Um, what do you think of the car crash? Because it was kind of pretty visceral from where I was sitting. I liked the car crash. I well, prior to the car crash, I liked that they alluded to Captain Marvel in the when he's saying getting the phone call about the possible patients and right. the girl who's been struck yep. by lightning is blah blah blah. So which that's kind of cool. But um, I. I mean, you know it's coming, right? You see him looking down, so they're they're leading into it, and then <clears throat> obviously he's a rich douchebag doctor, and he's got a crazy super fast car, <laughs> so he's gonna crash it, you know. And I, I thought the crash was really solid because it kind of does a they don't do like a big airlift thing, you know. It's not like a big uh, Furious Seven car crash. It kind of spins out, goes around, does a little bit of a turn, and then and then you know does the hang into the water which i i thought was interesting to end it because normally they end with it you know teetering on a thing and something happens but this was like hanging you know dripping in the water uh off the fence or whatever pole or whatever it was um it felt really good i don't it didn't really feel um the physics felt right uh and i was going to say earlier when you brought up digital doubles um, when I think it's at the end of the kaleidoscope sequence when uh, Tilda Swinton kind of comes in and settles everything up 
she like jumps off the side of a building or she does something and she's a digital double and it's a little puppety feeling when she lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I that shot. Was really that feel was that, that there? In, was that in the London? Car crash had a really nice weight to it and everything kind of, you know, yeah. hit where it needed to hit. Because um, I'm sure it's a, it was a mixture of practical and CG. Yeah, I, I can't remember where that was, but I do remember that yeah, jump shot. It, it felt like... For sure. There was like I a... I mean, I'd say yeah. it definitely had... A, you know, it was it was a long crash, right? Because they cut to the slow mo, sort of inside the like, you know, and like the yeah. breaking glass, like coming towards his face <laughs> and stuff. But no, I thought I thought it was it was really good, and uh, yeah, it definitely it definitely felt uh, real. You know, the one effect that I was I was gonna uh, bring up too that I thought was so cool, and it it recurred a number of times uh, throughout the film, and it became sort of an, a, just a character animation piece was the um, the cloak that he. Uh, winds up getting oh, into yeah. and I, I love the way that they um they they made that and I and maybe that's the case in the comic too. I guess I don't really I never really read Doctor Strange as a kid. I think he was there was something about him that he was kind of creepy to me, you know, like whereas some people thought he was rad because he was sort of creepy, you know. Um I was probably just young enough when uh, he was a, a character that it was like I He was kind of like Dio. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was like it just wasn't quite sure how far I was going to go into that sort of the occult realm or whatever. But I loved how they they made that thing a character, and it would like protect him, and then it would kind of fight for him, and it would hold back uh, the enemy, you know, that was sort of trying to get at him at the same time. And then sort of the the goofy joke at the end, where like he he um, flips up the collar, and then it kind of like you know mocks him, sort of, and it kind of tussles with him and I thought that was a pretty neat um a pretty neat effect and and worked well in terms of giving him uh the the actor sort of an opportunity to sort of play off and and be a little campy kind of um with the very nature of the character and the costume too which they made several jokes to um you know when he wound up in the hospital or whatever I I liked the, the I thought that was a great sort of dog kind of motif with the um cape just terrific totally. right uh, though yeah. you can't help but see it and suddenly we we're in the cinema and we were like no capes but um it was yeah really really good that's a signature i mean that's his thing he's got the super awesome cape with the co- high collar and the yeah i know, you know but you know it's like but edna mode uh, would not approve exactly <laughs> hey um so you brought up the the in the hospital scene and mm-hmm. um and i was going to say earlier though i Forgot to that. Uh, Framestore also did a bunch of stuff, and Framestore included a bunch of Mandelbrot set, set stuff, um, kaleidoscope stuff, um, in the interior stuff that was done. Uh, you know, when he first gets the power and cracks it, uh, like it's in a churchy kind of environment. I think that was them as well. Uh, but they did the astral forms when he's in the um, the hospital. And he has a kind of outy, out of body experience, um, and I'm just wondering what you thought about that because I don't think it was badly executed. I just had a problem with them bobbing up and down on the balcony. It was just, at some point it was just silly. Do you know what I'm talking about? When yeah, they've flown I out mean, of the body yeah, after well, she's... And, and I, uh, I actually think that was that was probably the one sequence where the, the sort of rules of the kind of physics of the sort of astral plane didn't really make any sense because at times they were like floating and flying through walls and then other times they were colliding with the floor plane and it was like well so what can you pass through and what can't you pass through you know like and it sort of seemed like all right well and and it it seemed reminiscent in a way of some of those um oddly enough it made me think of that uh i can't remember what year it was like a late 80s maybe mid to late 80s movie the uh patrick swayze movie ghost oh no you know no really (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it made me think of that in a way in that it was like, you know, you had these two sort of ghost-like figures who occasionally crossed into the, like, uh, their this rapidity of their movement would sort of cause, like, the jostling of some, you know, piece of medical equipment or whatever. And and uh, I don't know. I mean, I thought it was it was fine. It was okay. And it kind of, it, it was a sort of another um, magical mystery tour moment, but in sort of a different um sort of in a different zone where they were the magical mystery tour and the world in which they were sort of playing around was, was our world either where time was stopped or was uh, incredibly slowed down. So I don't know. I mean, it, it worked okay. Like it didn't feel like a really, um, 
I don't know, it just didn't feel as blown out as some of the other effect sequences, but it was kind of a, I mean, it's kind of a fun, I guess, chase, you know, slash fight sequence. Well, there's the fight sequence, but now I've got Tilda Swinson sitting down at a pottery wheel in my head, but um, it, there, there's the <laughs> second one, right? When she leaves the body and she's out on the balcony and, and she slows yeah, down the, the, the yeah, expositional yeah. moment. Yeah, and so that one was the one that, I mean, the the fighting out of the body, yeah, that was sort of, that was, was it Frighteners? I mean, there's some film. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, Frighteners. Oh, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. got me kind of on that, on the fight sequence, but on the, mm. on the standing on the balcony, the rain, the ex, like looking out from their POV, great, loved it. But them just bobbing around um, just felt kind of silly. I don't know how you'd solve it. Um, and here's the thing that's kind of annoying. Like Framestore did a lot of work there to make sure that their emanating volumetric kind of light actually affected things a bit. So, you know, they weren't just stuck on and yeah. it sort of sat in the shot really well. And so if you were given that brief, this is one of those occasions that I find it really hard to criticize because I, I, I didn't like it, but I don't think if I'd been given that brief, there's any way I could have executed it any better. If they're going to bob up and down and glow like ghosts, like Casper, but try and be serious and deep and meaningful at that point, I just don't know how you solve that, you know. Um, maybe you should have just foregone the, um, the kind of floating thing for a bit and just cheated it and had them hold onto the railing. But yeah... There's a shot of the two shot over uh, with Tilda on one side of the screen and, and uh, Cumberbatch on the right, and they were just bobbing up and down. Yeah, how they're sort they of were. their feet aren't touching the ground; they're sort of floating yep. there. Yeah, that was that was funny for sure. <laughs> and so then I just go on this whole take me out of the film. What's causing them to go up and down? Because is air doing that? Is why are they why are they not just you know like if you're in a space station, you don't go up and down, you don't bounce, you either bounce off something, but once you've gone on a trajectory, you need something to slow you down. So I'm like completely out of the movie at this point, trying to work out what it is that causes them to yo-yo. It was um, taco night at the hospital cafeteria. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our our happy band of zealots, one of whom is uh, in that fight sequence, all have some really bad um, skin conditions. That was uh, courtesy of some on-screen makeup and some on-set makeup. Um, the on-screen digital makeup was Lola. What do we think about the the uh, the look around the eyes of our zealots? Uh, it kind of it kind of dovetailed a little bit with Ronan's look in Guardians, mm-hmm. the way he had that black kind of shit on his face with the. Yeah way that it like was clearly it's something happening to his face which would tie into maybe the Dormammu thing uh which we'll get to in a second but it it I wasn't quite sure why it was happening mm-hmm. I don't maybe I just maybe I blinked and missed that setup for what you know that they had opened the portal and that or you know had set up the spell and they that was their signature to be like fully Dormammu'd. I think they were Dormammu'd. I I mean, I think they were it so that the audience kind of knew clearly who they were bad people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was modeled off those crystals, you know, those geode sort of crystals. Yeah. Yeah. And once somebody told me that, I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Um, What I found technically really impressive about that, and maybe you guys call me like uh, out of touch, but it was extraordinary to me how that looked like solid crystalline bits of stuff and it was 2D artwork stuck on them in post. Like I got to hand it to Lola and I've said this a number of times, those guys just never cease to lack to impress me in any movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the light plane under their eyes, it looks like that's 3D geo with light on it, right? Yeah. But actually it's just 2D stuff in and they faked out all little shadows and glints to make it look like 3D by hand. Yeah, qualitatively it worked totally, you know, I just, from a motivational standpoint, I couldn't, and again, I'm not saying, maybe I just missed it in the movie. It did, other than just saying these guys are bad guys, there was no, there was no moment. They when didn't that say what it was. Like their yeah. transformation. Yeah, when their yeah. transformation or. I couldn't help but feel like it looked like they like got suckered into like, you know, a, a, a makeover at the Macy's uh, makeup counter, like Christmas <laughs> yeah. Mall or and something, a, you know. like An it, atomic setup. Yeah. yeah. They got an atomic <laughs> setup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like it kind of, it kind of had a little bit because it, it just because it did seem and unmotivated. That, yeah. 
does that makeup counter have the uh, Mads restraining device of uh, torture that uh, that he? Uh, oh, that thing was so cool when he threw cool? that thing and, on him. That was so awesome. And how good is the actor that he can act that with nothing there to then have that added in and then, <laughs> yeah. And in that case, by the way, did you know he cries in that sequence? What? Yeah, I know. I was talking to Lola, and like, yeah, we did the tears when he's when he's crying, and I'm like, when did he cry? And they're like, well, you know, when he gets caught in the thing. Yeah, like he's he's meant to. Like it's not like he's upset. It's not like hurting. (laughs) His character, yes, his character is pinned by that device on the floor on his knees. You know, with his arms at the back, and uh, and he kind of is you know saying to Strange. You know, you're not going to make it. We're all, you're all going to die. And uh, yeah, in that sequence, a tear is, comes down his cheek. He, he tears up. He's Mr. Doctor. Digitally added. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Um, misty, yeah. But I, I thought Mads was great. I thought Mads was not. The thing about these sort of movies is sometimes you want supervillain that is the guy that has to be, you know, like how are you going to beat him? Like if vision is against you, you need complicated stuff about vision to solve how do you defeat vision. And then there are other times that you just want a bunch of bad guys that are the threat that drives the story further forward. And it wasn't like Mads was a particularly, you know, cunning bad guy. Obviously he did some funky things with Corridors and and the effects team at Framestore did funky sequences with that, in that sequence, you know, he's, I love that when he's kind of running, um, Dr. Strange running up the corridor and he just isn't going anywhere because the thing is folding in on itself. Yeah. Great visual effects, great 3D rendering, great lighting. But Mads himself as a character uh, just doesn't particularly do much other than cause Strange to run up the thing that Frame saw then kaleidoscopes, if you know what I mean. Right. It's not like he's a deep... I saw, deep... Some, I saw some BTS online today um, that I love when they do... They're clearly going to use CG in the sequence, as most movies of this caliber do all over the place. But they had tons of practical things for interactive lighting. So, like, when he goes th- when they go through the orange, you know, portal, yep. they had, like, a giant orange light ring mm, that yep. they jumped through. That's cool. To create some real interactive lighting on them. And then when they were fighting and they had that ropey kind of mm-hmm. plasma thing, they had, like, a light rope, like an orange light rope wrapped around... The thing, so you had some, you know, real interactive lighting. That's cool, and that's so Whether smart they, to do it that way. I think. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't even just yeah, for on like, him; it's on the walls of the room, like in, when he's yeah, jumping through saying, in the, everywhere. the cupboard. You know, it's like the storage. Yeah, can, yeah. It's playing on the roof really strongly. The, the last uh, couple Star Wars movies, in terms of the lightsaber fights, was having actual illuminated. Um, you know, sticks oh, that yeah. they could fight with so they'd get the interactive interplay on the face. I actually thought that was kind of a, a neat, although kind of a. It, I mean, it, it was neat in that I felt like it was sort of fresh, the sort of sparkler slash ember kind of effect where they spin the hand, you know, and they, they make the, the portal that they jump through. I kind of thought the look of that and yeah. the way the embers would kind of, um, they would twirl in the direction that they had spun the portal and then they would kind of scatter once the portal closed as if it was sort of like, a you know, the embers of a flame that had been snuffed out or yeah. something. And I thought that was kind of a neat um, effect and the, the reminiscent uh, lighting that was left over was cool too. Yeah, I liked the spark thing and it played so well in the after credit sequence as well. It's just mm. really set that up well. Hey, um, so do you want to talk about the uh, Dark Realm? I think that was what you were alluding to earlier, Jason. Yeah, Dormammu. Yeah. Or as I like to call it, the MCP. Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, it's super. I mean, I, no one's gotten away from the MCP since the MCP. Well, just those eyes being so far uh, apart immediately, it looks like that. Yeah, you know? well, the nose, yeah, the big face. Yeah. And and with the way the face was splitting vertically, yep. were they alluding to a Thanos kind of thing? Because he's got the lines in his face. Corduroy face. <laughs> yeah. And then... And then my friend told me that the face and the voice were Cumberbatch. No, really? Uh, yeah. I didn't know he that. He had read a thing that they had scanned him or something. They definitely um, scanned him. The, um, well, as I said, the, uh, he was well, scanned. Well, scanned him for other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think I forgot to mention that the, uh, what's the name? Uh, Plowman Craven did the, uh, the body scanning. I mentioned the head scanning before. Um, yeah. I didn't know that. That was his voice. That's, that's I, cool. But I had an issue with 
I, I like the concept of that he tricked him into like a time loop that clearly there's no way out of. Yeah. But at the same time, it happened really fast. Like Dormammu gave up like real fast. Like, oh, it was like right in. Like they didn't even try to intimate that he was in there for like a gajillion years. Like, you know, the way Groundhog's Day is like, you know, 15 years or 40 years. Oh, they sort of did. They had him killed about 20 times or 10 times at least, right? I know, but it's just the way that it, the way that it, I don't know. I felt watching it like Dormammu goes real fast to like, wait, you tricked me? Oh, shit. You know, like, uh, you know, I I don't know. There was something slightly anticlimactic about the way it was paced. Dormammu kind of, he was kind of weak sauce a little bit is is kind of maybe. Yeah. Well, but yeah, you just know like, that's you knew he was going to be defeated, that's the big right? Bad guy. Yeah. Well, no, of course, but it's just there. There was it was like why even? Why did he even need to show up? <laughs> like it, there, there was nothing. There was real no interaction other ticket. than Doctor Strange was like, yeah, Doctor Strange was like, oh, I, I, I see you're a big floating face. I think I can destroy you with some time tricks, and then he, you know, goes into it. And then once you see him looping, obviously that's the gag and there's nothing Dormammu can do, but there was like no like power bursts or power bolts or like he didn't do anything other than say, don't do that. <laughs> Dormammu, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he didn't try to disrupt him with any power. So it's sort of like, well, what is his deal then? Can I, can I just, <laughs> can I just interrupt you for one second? I just want to say to the audience, we have fans that listen to this show that come back with all sorts of things from turning the volume up and listening to it cars or with stereo and they hear things in the background. So I just want to say, while Jason was talking that I was not yawning, that's my dog. I have a dog in the room with me and I find Jason phenomenally interesting. Ooh, and the kind of, yeah, literally my dog, it's a Labrador. It's fine. It's my Labrador your, is sitting here behind right. me and he's kind of going. Australian to yawn at an American. No, it's not. Now. And I, I would never do that to yeah, you. Especially now. No, no. There are other things I do to you right now, but not that. And, uh, and no, so I just, for those of you with the headphones <laughs> on, with the noise cancelling, I, I love those Bose noise cancelling, whatever they are. They're great. I've got a pair. But if you think you just heard me yawning at him, I didn't. Though thank you to all the times you guys have sent in emails picking up things that have actually happened in the background of the show and we do appreciate that kind of level of attention. Okay. But you um, do have a collar on with name tags. I'm sorry, what? That, those are your, I said those are your name tags jingling, not oh, your Yeah, tags. no, definitely. I've got, I've got some imitation G.I. <laughs> Joe tags from, uh, from uh, not having served in the military. Okay so, um, okay, so what have we not discussed? I think we discussed that most of the stuff, right? The uh, astral projection stuff. Um, as I say, I like it when uh, it's happening in Kathmandu, less enthusiastic when they're bobbing around outside. I think the, for me personally, I really liked the, the visual effects. I thought it was kind of fresh and interesting. And I liked the whole film, I think, a bunch more than you guys did, but that's just me. Um, no, I like the film. I think I'm in between you guys. I enjoyed it. There's just some plot points that at a certain point I was kind of like, oh, all right. Uh, but, but I... I I enjoyed it. I have to take my kid to see it. I had to go see it late one night because uh, because I had to squeeze it in before we did the show, and I couldn't take him at like ten o'clock at night. Yeah, and I, and I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't thing- want to say I didn't like it. I would just say that it was it was it was the first time I'd seen a Marvel movie where I started to feel a touch of what I've heard people mention before, which was Marvel fatigue. <laughs> But yeah, I, and I, I do. But that, that being said, like but, I think the effects were great. I love, all, like I said, I love all those actors that are in it. But it just was like I was like, eh, you know, like I could watch this one probably at home, you know, when it came out on video. No, no, I'm I'm not there at all. But uh, yeah, here's the thing: it does in all the elder magic and all this fun stuff that they're doing. They do manage to completely avoid the problem that I've got with Marvel films, which is just call the Avengers. Like, you know, something happens and it's like, for the love yeah. of God, you've got all these other superheroes there. You know that they're there. Um, go for it. By the way, earlier on, I said this was the 11th. It's the 14th of the cinematic universe Oof. movies. Wow. Well, so, yeah, you know, go, go figure. It's sort of like the eagles in Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, just exactly. the eagles. They'll work it out for you. Exactly. Yeah. Go like do Don the darn Henley thing. And the uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what we're referring Don to. Don Henley yeah. and Fry to come. <laughs> yeah, that's what we want. Out, except... <laughs> I think I'd call Don oh, Felder before I called in the movie. I, uh, so, sorry, yeah. They get a lift 
right? Most of the way towards dropping off the darn ring with the eagles and then they yeah, get put yeah. down. It's like get the darn eagles to fly you over the volcano, drop the darn thing. Well, and we can all see go those home. movies. I think we I talked about this in the Hobbit asleep. movies. Yeah. Yeah. But in the book, in the Hobbit book that I reread prior to seeing the movie, <laughs> the eagles are dicks. They're like, why are flying we... Flying dicks? We're helping you because flying... No, they're dicks. They're assholes. Oh. They're like, they pick up Gandalf and they're like, all right, fine, we'll help you. But like, we're going to well, put you in the le- most yeah. inconvenient space. Please don't call us again. We really don't want to be... Yeah, famous, well, it's for this reason, right? You owe, is, we owed you, you know. Yeah. Okay. Hey, it's what do we enough. think of the ancient one? Did we think she was a dick or did we think she was... No, that, I thought she was great. It was, you know, a little Kung Fu Caradine uh, yeah. style mixed with uh, the mystic, you know, keeper. Well, because here's my thing, right? Because I don't know, I totally bought the she was being fed by the dark side so we should really resent her for it thing. It seemed like she was someone who spent a life being good and if she happened to have tapped into something that was otherwise evil, at least she's using it for good. So, you know, Yeah, I had no go. issue with that. I, yeah. think, uh, I think that I felt like that was resolved character. like in the story, like that it was, that that was sort of like a, a, a bit of a red herring where it's like you're sort of thrown into it. You're supposed to sort of be thrown into this situation where you somewhat question her motivations uh, and you're sort of being manipulated by, what's his name? Uh, Modo. Yeah, that, Modo, that guy. Yeah. Who departs. And, uh, yeah, like, I, but then but then I feel like it sort of is cleared up, you know, at the end when she uh, she passes away and she, you know, I don't know. I mean, I plus, you know, it's she looks like such a, you know, creature from outer space, just in general, that like for her to be in that bald makeup, the bald cap or whatever, if that's not actually, I don't think she actually shaved her head, I wouldn't imagine, but um, hey. but it was really well done. And I thought that, you know, just seeing close-ups of her and hearing her sort of deliver the lines, I thought I thought she was really good. I liked, I liked that character. So let me ask you this, right? Now we've seen the Infinity Stone, so we got them all under control. Are you pumped for Infinity Wars or are you pumped for Guardians 2? Because the Guardians two trailer uh, is out. Both, yeah, both. But but there's still one more Infinity Stone, isn't there? No, we've got the lot now. Do we have all of them? I yeah. can't keep track of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I I actually okay. Damn, I didn't get this prepared. I actually got a, a my researcher on the team uh, to go and list them all for me, and so she has. So let me pull that up. Uh, my researcher is, by the way, my daughter, um, who <laughs> extensively. Uh, uh, check this out, and so yeah, they're they're all um, they're all accounted for. The um, so the first one showed up in Thor, in the Tesseract, right? The first Thor. Yeah, movie. there's the Tesseract. Yep. Yeah. And then we've got the Tesseract. We've got the one that's in uh, Loki's scepter that's gone into the head of um, Vision. Uh, Vision. There's the one right. that they. Um, Unlocked at uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, that's three. Yeah, hang on. I, I just got to get my researcher notes up because she went to all this trouble to write all these out for me because I was like, I couldn't count them <laughs> off when I was having a drink the other night. I had this really amazing new gin, by the way. It's called Ink and it changes color when you put um, uh, soda in it. And so that might have been the reason wow. I was having trouble. Here we go. Okay, the Tesseract, <laughs> the Space Stone. Loki's Scepter, Vision's Head, is the Mind Stone. Um, there's one from Thor 2, which is the reality stone. There's the purple oh, right. orb in Guardians. That's the power stone. And this was the time stone. Right. Set, now complete. Thanks for playing. Right. And, they have to, and then Thanos has to get him and put him in the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, in the right. uh, Michael Jackson glove. Yeah. Um, so For <laughs> Nintendo glove, power glove. The power glove. And then, uh, I don't know, I got to say, for me, I'm not pumped... Uh, for that, nearly as much as I am for Guardians too. Yeah. Uh, I think Guardians just was so fun. I, I got a feeling yeah. that because I guess part of the reason is I'm getting a bit ripped off by these films splitting. So that that one is split into two, right? The um, the the next uh, mm-hmm. stone. Did they? Did they? I thought I read something where they were made in, making it one, or maybe it was initially one, and then they I read they made it two. I can't remember. I think it's listed that. still. Something that happened with that as being two. I'm as pretty sure one and two. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just think um, that that trailer for the new Guardians and that I mean, just that yeah. the way they play off the one gag in it, the humor aspect of like uh, I can't remember their names now, but the uh, the big the big guy saying like, 
you know, you just need to meet someone who is pathetic like you. And he's like, do you need a hug? <laughs> I mean, just so stupid, you know, like, but so funny, like at the same time that it, it takes, it, it doesn't take itself so seriously. Yeah. Well, guys, we got to wrap it up because we're out of time. But um, Jason, where can people find you if they want to track you down? Uh, com. Excellent. Uh, my production company with my brother and SuperSphereVR.com, my VR company. Excellent. And several other people. <laughs> and Matt? Uh, I'm at Virginia Commonwealth University School of the Arts in Richmond, Virginia, and you can find all other things me on my website, which is uh, MattWallen.com. Well, guys, it's been terrific having you. Uh, as I say, I, I did uh, enjoy this film tremendously and uh, I don't think I'm tapped out yet. I, I definitely, maybe check with me after I've seen Guardians 2, but I'm still in the game for, for Guardians 2. But until then, uh, I'm Mike Seymour. I'm uh, Mike Seymour on Twitter, if you want to find me. Uh, thanks so much for being here. And Matt, you've done a terrific job lately in helping us out with behind the scenes posts on this as well. So let me give you a big thanks for that as well. We really appreciate it. Oh, always, my pleasure. It's fun. All right, guys, until next time, uh, some good films coming up. Obviously, we've got uh, some new Potter fun, uh, but now in New York, and some other things coming up, but uh, all of that uh, coming up soon on The VFX Show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, talk to you guys later. See ya. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.